Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and you're all around hiring guru. And man, do I have a treat for you today. Get ready, hold on to something tight because we are about to go on a really fun ride. So let me introduce our guest today and get him right up here for you. So today on the show, I'm gonna welcome Steve Sims, author of Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. Steve is the CEO of the luxury concierge service Bluefish, through which he's arranged many adventures for clients, including underwater tours of the Titanic, dinners in Italy while being serenaded by Andre Bocelli, I probably totally butchered that, and even a private dinner at the feet of Michelangelo's David. Steve is also a coach, helping people identify the whys and, oh, I could never do that, and instead determining how to get your business to where it can shine. Steve... I tell you what, when I first talked to you, I was a little intimidated by your profile. Really? Why? Because you have just met some amazing people in your career. And you are, I think what you told me, you were like the most invisible connected man when we first talked. (laughs) Yeah, I I was, um, the amount of times I've been in a party with someone that owns something like a country and I'm just lurking in the corner, not knowing anyone. And people have literally come up to me and given me their keys, thinking I'm like security or head of the valet or something. So I was probably the most unknown connected guy for 25 plus years. That is crazy. I mean, and you know, I keep telling everybody who my guest was going to be today. And they're like, what the heck is a luxury concierge? And how did you get into that? Yeah, it's kind of weird because if anyone if anyone's watching this and they're looking at a, a bald-headed guy with a goatee and eyebrow piercings, tattoos and stuff, it was not a job that I set out to be in. Uh, I actually started as the doorman of a nightclub and quite a ropey nightclub at that. Um, but quite simply, I just wanted to be in a room full of uh, successful people. I was in a room full of poor people with no money, so I knew what that was like. I wanted to find a way of getting into a room full of people that made made impact, made movement, made decisions, had affluence, were successful, hoping that that would drip off. It just so happened that being a concierge started from getting them in the best nightclubs to throwing my own parties, to then working for companies like the Grammys, New York Fashion Week, Sorrel and John's Oscar party. So it just grew and grew and grew over the years, but the concept never changed. I just wanted to get into a room with successful, impactful, affluent people to understand what made them tick and why they were different and why they had money and power and I had none. So it was literally just a Trojan horse to be able to uh, satisfy my own needs. Well, that's amazing. I just had this conversation earlier today about growth and about how important it is to surround yourself with those people that have what you want that are, you know, in your eyes are better than you, even though they're probably not, but you think they are, they have something you want. And it's so important to be able to just pick those little pieces of, you know, skills that they have and meld them into you. 
right? Oh, 100%. You know, there's the old saying that uh, you are the five people you hang around with. Um, I always believe that you are the room you're in. So the easy thing was to make sure you're in a decent room. I like that. I may have to shadow you for a while. See what happens. <laughs> Be my guest. Ooh, you heard that, Trey. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I, so I really love to start the show with connections, how we got connected, because I think it's so important. And I really want to say thank you to those people that connected us. So do you remember who connected us? I don't. Um, I, I'm probably, was it Adam? It was. Was it Adam? This, yeah, I thought, because I, I have to go with Adam because Adam's probably the most um uh positive one of doing it there's so many people that make introductions and they can sometimes be weak but knowing the standard you are the standard you play at um i had to i had to take a, an easy guess that you happen to be of adam's level so definitely <laughs> adam did it so thanks adam <laughs> so adam gets lots of shout outs on this show because he is so well connected and no wonder he, he has the uh the program network wise right to teach people how to do it the right way so yep. yeah he does he does it well there's a a lot of people will make an introduction when they don't have a solid relationship and that's where everything falls apart they've met someone somewhere and they've gone oh let me introduce you they don't come with any uh, credibility but when adam says hey pick up the phone and call this person because there's so much credibility that he carries i will always make that phone call because i know he's worthy of it well, he has definitely introduced me to some amazing people, including you. So I want to talk about what you know today. And I think this is a great segue into my first question, which is we had talked a little bit um, when we were on the phone for our initial conversation about the um, ROR, which you call ROR, which is your return on relationships. So what does that mean to you and how do you invest in your relationships? Uh, well, bottom line of it is, you know, you can make money pretty quickly if you know, you know, you could stick it in Bitcoin and it could go up overnight or it could go down. But relationships are those things you really have to nurture young and you need to work on them and work on them and work on them. When they become solid, they don't need much more attention. They're, they're just there. That's why you can bump into someone that, you know, you knew 20 years ago and run out and have a coffee and a joke with them because you've already established all of that early nurturing. Um, the relationships are also the ones that help you. If you're having trouble with money and you phone up your bank manager to help you, you're probably going to get the answer no. But if you phone up a mate that can help you with your assets, your strategies, your structure, or even the couch for a couple of days, that's where the relationships come into it. So I believe today we're in a credibility currency. And we've also just explained it by using Adam as an example without realizing we were using him as an example. If you've got credibility, you can use that as currency to get to the next relationship and then use that to the next relationship. So I'm a great believer, focus on the return on relationships, not your bank account. I could not agree more. So how do you recommend that people establish that credibility? How would I establish credibility with you other than Adam introducing us? So um, I'm, I'm going to play a game. Uh-oh. Uh, if you're up for it. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, this is one that I think you may be the first person I've ever played this game with that's actually going to get it right. Oh, my God. That's so much because pressure. <laughs> Well, to be completely open, and maybe someone's going to call me sexist because you're a lady, okay? 
But here's the thing, and ho it'll hopefully give you a better visual as how you make a good relationship, and more importantly, how you make the entry into a relationship. So let's say for argument's sake, I turned around and I said, hey, I'm having a dinner party Saturday, come along, okay? What would be the first question you would ask me? Um, what's the occasion? Okay, fair enough, what's the occasion? What's the next, uh, what's the next question you would ask me? How many people will be there? Fair enough, good question. How many people would be there? What's the occasion? Third question? And I just met you? No, you know who I am. Oh, That's okay. why, you know, okay. I, you know, we've met each other, you know me. And so you've asked me two questions. What's the third one? Um, this is a lot of pressure. Um, who else going to be there? All right, great. Okay, so we got three questions there which self-satisfy you. Selfishly, they add it up to you as to whether or not you're going to make the decision to come to my party. Oh, okay. I just failed, didn't I? I'm actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm stunned you failed. I really am surprised because the conversation I had with you before, and I think probably because of the pressure of this interview, um, that's maybe why you wouldn't give the knee-jerk reaction. But I would beg to diff, I would beg to argue that in a normal situation, there would can, be a different answer you would I, give. What can I bring? Bingo. That's what I was. Yes. It's and here's the daft thing you ask a guy that, and he's going to ask all these self assessing questions that you'd oh, who's going to be there? What time is it? You know, who will I meet? What's it about? Those are all questions that help you. If you ask too many of the questions, the person that's invited you is thinking, Well, you're no longer invited, okay, <laughs> because you haven't got to you haven't got to win the person over to come to your party. But the thing is, when you get through to, and, and females are brilliant at it, the ladies are into it, into it. They nine times out of 10 ask that question. That sounds great. What can I bring? Now, when you go to a relationship, when you meet someone for the first time, especially if they're in a position of profile or power, when you, and I guarantee this has happened to you, people walk up to you and they go, hey, hey, how you doing? And you're stood there going, do I know these people? Have I met these people before? Where do I know? Now, they've probably followed you. They've watched all your interviews. They're mad fans of you. But for those first few minutes, you're stood there going, how do I know this person? I don't want to be rude. Have I met them? And you're going through all of this. Other people talking to you can read that as you being distracted or you being distant. But you're just wary because you don't know what's going on. But if you walk up to someone for the first time and go, hey, how you doing? Uh, my name's Steve Sims. You don't know me, but I love your show. You're now relaxed. But if you then also turn around and go, hey, your show's fantastic. But there's a couple of things that I came up with that could increase your distribution. Would that be of interest for you to hear? Now I'm bringing something to the party. Now I'm bringing value. Every single relationship I have has not been one that I've taken by chance. I've researched, I've looked into it, I've Googled, I've stalked. And then I've gone up to him and gone, hey, you, we haven't met before. My name's Steve Sims. Adam introduced us earlier. I'm a real fan of this book that you wrote or this, uh, this event you're doing or this movie or the project or whatever. I wondered, had you thought of this and you bring value to the party? If you turn up like that, 
They like you because you're now bringing a solution. People like solvers. No one likes someone knocking on the front door and going, oh, can I talk to you for a couple of minutes? We've got a problem. They want You want people on your team to knock on the door and go, hey, we've got a problem, but I've got a couple of solutions. Can I run through those solutions with you? See if they, that's the people you want in your world. So whenever you're building a relationship, starting a relationship, wanting to get into a relationship, enter as a guest bringing something to the party of value. That is a great analogy. And, and I, I want to ask your opinion on something. So I tend to, when I meet people, I get really excited. And, you know, especially if I like them. Um, and so the other day I had a conversation with someone that was introduced to me. And immediately I started thinking about all the people that I wanted to introduce him to. And he's like, whoa, wait, what are you, whoa, whoa. It, it was almost like it was too much too soon. Do you see yeah. that happening in damaging relationships at times? Ah, uh, it won't damage a relationship, but the problem there was that you didn't establish your own. You had been introduced to someone and you need to come from a position of strength. Um, we've had a couple of conversations. I've been introduced to you through Adam. So I'm working on my credibility with you. It's not established, it's not concrete yet, but maybe in a year's time when we've sipped a couple of whiskeys and told bad jokes with each other, I'm in a strong relationship that when I turn around to you and go, hey, I've got a couple of people that you wanna meet, you're gonna be very open to that. But if I suddenly started hitting you up going, hey, yours, you've got a great viewership on your podcast, I've got a couple of people that will be great for you. You're wary because I haven't cemented that credibility. That's why I said building up a relationship, you've got to do all the hard work at the front, all the heavy lifting at the beginning before you're in a position to be able to monetize and quantify the relationship you actually have. And I agree with that. And I think my problem is I just, I want to give so much that I just try to give right away. And so I'm going to, but it, I definitely learned a lesson from that conversation, you know, so that's good going forward, right? With your passion and with your sole uh, focus on helping them with the introduction, I don't think that would be detrimental. But when you're in front of them, they want to know you first. Um, they want to know if you're quality. They want to know if you're good. Once you've established that, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna want to know who you know. Because let's be serious: if you've got five friends and you think your five friends are brilliant. If they've got friends, don't you want to meet their friends? Because who doesn't want more brilliant people in the party? Absolutely, absolutely. So you, um, one of the lessons you teach about relationship building is to give what they need. And I think that's just what we were just talking about, to give what they need, not what they ask for. So why is yeah. that so important? Oh, it's actually pitiful. Um, we're in a world today where we're a little bit embarrassed about saying what we really want. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so we dream without parameters. You may have been dreaming last night and you're floating around the Pacific coast highway of Malibu on Are a floating carpet. I was actually, it was a great <laughs> video. Um, but you wouldn't admit that to anyone. So if someone said to you, hey, what could you do if there was anything fantastical? You wouldn't say float around the coastline on a, on a magic carpet because you'd be embarrassed to say it. You may say, oh, I'd like to drive down the coastline. And straight away, you would reduce your dream, your fantasy to something that's achievable. Well, here's the dumb thing. 
if you haven't achieved much, then what your benchmark of achievement is, is already relatively low. But if you go for stupid, if you go for the ridiculous and you don't hit it, you very rarely will, but you hit a couple of steps below it, that's your new norm of achievable. So when I talk to a client, they come to me and they look at what they can, this, whether it be the concierge service or whether I'm coaching clients, they come to me with what they think they can achieve, what sounds realistic. So what I always say is listen to what they ask for, ignore it, and give them what they lust, dream, and desire for. Because you know you're going to go for stupid. I had a client of mine that wanted to have a dining experience in Italy. He was very powerful, but he couldn't picture bigger than a dining experience. What I did was I took over, and you mentioned it earlier, I took over the Academia de Galleria, the museum in Florence that houses Michelangelo's David. I shut the entire museum down, and at 9 o'clock in the evening, had a table of six. They came in, had that meal, had a string quartet and a pianist, and halfway through munching their meatballs, I brought Andrea Bocelli to come in and serenade them. Because I went for stupid, and every time I've achieved stupid or close to it, that's my new level. So I'm a great believer that you've got to be the one that, that puts the juice into it. You've also got to understand that today we're in a transactional society. You are barking orders on a daily basis, whether it be to Alexa, Siri, uh, any of these programs, Amazon. If you don't think you're in a transactional society, phone up Amazon and tell them you're thinking of changing brand of toilet roll and what would they suggest? You can't do it. Amazon doesn't want to talk to you. They want to fulfill your order. So what you've got to do to stay in business is everything that these transactional services do and then everything they don't do. And what they don't do is create, dream, and disrupt. That's where your superpower is. I love it. I love it. And so how cool was it to have, I mean, I'm sure you didn't have dinner with them, but you were probably there supervising to be there to see the statue of David and, and how in the world, I, I just don't understand how you do what you do. I mean- Well, I got, the, I, got the better, I got the better end of the stick because we took the museum over from four o'clock in the afternoon until two o'clock in the morning. Uh, they turned up at about 20 to nine and left at maybe about you know, half 10, quarter to 11. So I had all of that time in the museum on my own with the curator and Andrea Bocelli, and they only had about an hour and a half. So to say that I got the better deal that somebody else paid for is an understatement. That is amazing. That is absolutely. So I know you've met with some incredible influencers throughout your career. I believe you've met with El Elon Musk, Sir Richard Branson, Sir Elton Job. I mean, what's the most powerful piece of advice that you received or knowledge that one of them shared with you or any of the influencers that you've been around? Wow. Um, I'll give you two. Okay. okay. And I think these two will surprise you. One of them was probably the densest man I know, my dad. Oh. Um, <laughs> my dad was a big, thick Irish bricklayer. And he said to me one day, and I was like about 13, 12, 13, I was a real child. And we're walking down the road and he's smoking like crazy, like he always did. And I remember without even looking at me, 
He took his cigarette out of his mouth, put his hand on my shoulder, and he went, son, no one ever drowned by falling in the water. They drowned by staying there. And then he takes his hand off my shoulder and carries on walking. And I remember as a child, I stopped and I'm thinking, where the hell did that come from? I thought he'd just been consumed by a fortune cookie or something. But I realized as I got older, I had the ability to get out of the water. And as entrepreneurs, we're always falling on our face. We're always making mistakes. Throw your pity party for 10 minutes, but then get up. Don't allow it to drown mm -hmm. you. That was one thing. And the other one was uh, from uh, Jean-Paul de Jouria, who uh, a lot of people know for um, the hair products um, and for the tequilas. But Jean-Paul de Jouria once said to me that um, he tried not to email. If it was that important, it deserved a phone call. And what he ended up doing was getting less phone calls, uh, less emails and more phone calls and more opportunities because of the phone call. So if it's important, arrange a phone call, make a phone call. If it's a pitch, it's cold. So, hey, that's what email's for. But the first thing that he explained to me was email is not communication. It's throwing a message and waiting for the other person to play verbal tennis with it. Communication is two people having dialogue at the same time. And I was really, John Paul DeJoria is just phenomenal. Paul Mitchell, he's, he's a, if no one's looked up his story, they should. Very, very empowering entrepreneur and mentor. I will definitely have to check that out. I love to hear stories like that. So um, you have a quote in your book, The Art of, well, Blue Fishing, um, that says, if you go in with a clear win-win and confidence that it's going to happen, you will be surprised at how many times you're right. So... I mean, it's so important that our job seekers have the right mindset when they're going into these interviews. So what advice would you give them and, and kind of break this down for us? What does this mean? <laughs> so I was having a dinner party with some pretty influential peers. And uh, one of them is very heavily into the Marvel movies and actually worked in them. And Jealous. he was playing this dinner game. He was playing this dinner game of if you were a superhero, what would your superpower be? And he was going around the table and they were all kind of like, you know, the power of flight and the power of forward vision and the, the power of time travel. And I'm trying to think of something that sounded smart because I had all these people around me. And as he asked me, my wife, who's been with me for 35 years, she turned around and she said, Steve's superpower would be ignorance because he's ignorant. <laughs> and I sat there thinking to myself, I'm getting divorced in the morning. You know, my <laughs> wife has just called me ignorant in front of all these people. And as I'm sitting there simmering and all of these people are kind of looking at me, she said, no, 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 you think about it for a second. How many times has Steve done something and pulled it off? And you've literally said to yourself, how the hell did you do that? And the reason Steve did it was because he was ignorant to the no. He was ignorant mm. to the point that it wouldn't work in his favor. He was ignorant to whatever failure looked like. He couldn't conceive, validate, or pay attention to any other way other than it working for him. And when you step in with that mindset, luckily, thankfully, I hugged her. We're still married. But <laughs> I realized that when you walk into a room with a solid purpose, 
backed by ability, credibility, and passion, then the other people are ill-armed to refuse you. So that mindset is everything. It is everything. I will tell you just a real quick story that when I approached my partners about doing the podcast, I had no idea what I was getting into, right? No idea. And I'm so glad I didn't because I think if I'd have known the work that it took on the front end, just, you know, to get everything even just ready to do the intros, the outros, pick the music, pick the logos, all this kind of stuff. I mean, I was wanting to pull my hair out before we even recorded our first show. So I totally get the ignorance thing. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So this is something that I'm really curious about. And I I know you're going to have just a huge knowledge nugget for our audience, but what's the biggest challenge you've faced in your career and how did you overcome it? Uh, I didn't, I went through it. Um, I, 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 if anyone ever meets me and you can see me from here, you know, I've, I've got tats and jewelry and ride motorcycles and, you know, I look like the kind of guy that you don't want to bump into at 11 o'clock at night. Um, as I was growing my business, focusing on the client's goal, I wasn't focusing on what I looked like. So since a kid, I've always been in black t-shirts cause that way I haven't got to think about what I wear. I always ride motorcycles because that way I haven't got to take a phone call or carry a cup of coffee or something. Mm. Um, But as I got into my business, and I was about eight years into developing the world's largest experiential concierge firm, working with some of the most powerful people in the world. So it was already incredibly successful. I got a deal with Ferrari at the Monaco Grand Prix. For some reason, I woke up in the morning one morning fearful of what people would think when they saw me. Now, bear in mind, I'd already been in business for eight years. Ferrari was now giving me a contract, so they already thought I was good. But I didn't think I was good enough. I went out that day, and I remember I bought a car. I bought tailor-made suits. I actually bought a watch, you know, an expensive watch. And I went down to Monaco to try and be the person you wanted me to be to impress you enough to do business with me that I was already doing business with. It made no sense. But I went down to this event and then I came back and it was in the years, it was 1997. It was the years where we got the roll of film and we'd put it in the the envelope, send it off and somewhere in the next three to four years, you'd get all these photographs come back. (laughs) And I was... I was flicking through these photographs of me leaning up against this car, me on the yacht with Arnold Schwarzenegger, me doing this in a paddock with Ferrari, me with Prince Albert. And I realized I actually wasn't in any of these pictures. This person that I had created, this doubtful monster that had had suddenly developed, had gone on that event. We openly say we've been to Monaco twice, but we only went once. Because the first time we went, I went as someone else. And it put me into a depression because I realized I'd sold the greatest asset I had. I had sold me and what I stood for. So the dark side of it is, was I went into a depression. I actually got very drunk for a few days. Luckily, I came out of it, got rid of the car. Still don't own a car. To today, don't own a car. Um, Got rid of all the tailor-made suits and realized that if you don't want to do business with this, well, that's fine, but I don't want you being confused who 
you're doing business with. So I wanted to make sure I was transparent at all times. It's done very, very well for me, but my darkest moment was definitely when I sold myself out. Thank you so much for sharing that and being vulnerable about it. That's that's pretty deep. And you know, that's one of my, uh, or two of my core internal values is authenticity and transparency because you know i want to show up authentically i want you to see the same person every time we meet and you can't do that if you're faking it so i know you absolutely can't no it's about it's about and it's it's cancer because it'll affect every relationship you have not just the ones you're trying to work out with your clients for the paycheck but all of a sudden your wife starts looking at you going well who are you trying to be now you know where's Where's the other fellow in the black t-shirt and jeans? You know, it was a very, it was a tough period for us to get through. Thankfully, I had the support of a much stronger person, my wife, and we got through it. I'm going to have to meet this wife of yours. She's pretty incredible. I quite like her. She sounds like it. She sounds amazing. And Stevie, you're not going to believe this, but we are almost out of time. This has been fascinating. Wow. Time has flown. And I just, I'm, I still would just, I could sit here and talk to you all day, but Trey's going to kick me out of here in a few minutes. So we probably better ask, get to our VIP questions. So these are the questions oh. we ask all of our uh, guests. And I'd love to see how people interpret them and what answers they come up with. So are you ready? All right. I don't know, but carry on. <laughs> now you're under the pressure. Um, yeah. So if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? What three things or people? Living or dead? That's up to you. It's your question. People. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, I would take uh, music. Uh, music is a great trigger for me, so I'd all, I would always bring music. Um, I would bring uh, God. Whoever your God is, I would bring God, because let's be serious, what a great conversation that would be. Um, <laughs> Plus their magic. And I would, yeah, and uh, probably a decent grill. So uh, a decent grill so we can have cook-offs, some good tunes, and then chat with God. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Very unique. I will give you that. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, so um, we, we've all heard that some of the most successful people in the world have morning routines. So I'm curious, what's one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? Do you know, funny enough, I try to avoid routines because they can sometimes bite you in the ass, but you find out that even when you try to avoid a routine, you actually make a routine of avoiding a routine. So <laughs> I, get up, I get up every morning, I pour the coffee, open up the door, kick the dogs out, I live very well here in Los Angeles over the hills, and I appreciate it and say thank you every single morning that mm. I can open up the door and drink a cup of coffee looking over the hills. So to start the day with appreciation puts you in a damn good mood. The other thing that is tied with that is I put the radio on and it's music only. There's no news in it. I never put the morning news on. It's an anti-routine. I don't want to put the news on and have the news reporter come on and say good morning and then spend the next three hours telling me why it's not. I don't want to start the day with that negativity. So I go blindly into a day, even if I'm missing something, it doesn't matter. It'll find me during the day, but that's how I start my mornings. You know what? I don't watch TV at all. No, don't blame you. Or listen to the news. If I, if I have anything on, it's usually a podcast or binaural beats or something like that. So 
Yeah. If something happens in the planet, they're gonna you're gonna find out about it socially yeah. or someone will text you. So if it's important, you'll find out. Somebody at work will tell me. And then exactly. maybe it'll be true. Maybe it'll be true. So Who okay. Knows? Who cares? My final question for you. If your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? Oh. The man that went for stupid. <laughs> Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Steve, I'm really going to hate to have to say goodbye to you today. Um, so <laughs> how do people find you? Um, I'm at Steve D. Sims. There's only one M in Sims. Steve D. Sims, pretty much everywhere. You know, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, SteveDSims.com is the website. You've already brought up the book, Bluefish and the Art of Making Things Happen. I've got a free Facebook group called the An Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims. Um, you know, you can find me in there chatting away and going on about stuff that either I'm happy with or I'm not. I tend to, tend to post on both, but um, <laughs> I'm pretty easy to find. That is so awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. This has been such a treat and such a pleasure. Um, so, and, and hopefully we can stay best friends. So we'll go. Hey, to look, we're not ending. We're, it's just until next time. Until next time. And you know what? We're going to have to plan a motorcycle ride together. Got to be done. Got to be done. For sure. For sure. So I just have one last thing to say to you, Steve. You are a VIP. Oh, blessed. Thank you. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.